It's a time of great victory. Your past does not have to dictate your future. We are on the solid rock, Christ Jesus. God's got something better for you. I've been praying and studying all week about um, my Father's Day message, and there's what I've come to realize there are so many great stories in the Bible about what a father is, what a father isn't. So I said, okay, Lord, I'm just going to go and I'm going to start at the beginning. And so I said, I'm going to talk about Adam, you know, and then I said, well, I don't know about, about Adam. Adam is a, a good example of what a man isn't supposed to do, you know? So, I mean, Adam was disobedient and because of his disobedience, he sent us all men to death. And so I said, well, I don't really want to talk about Adam, but I do want to talk about disobedience because you can have the greatest ministry, you can have the greatest relationship with God and do, and, and one act of sin can change an entire course history of your life and your families. And we always hear that, you know, it, it was the woman's fault. No, it wasn't the woman's fault because God set up Adam as the head. And one thing that's interesting is we all have these moments where we have a choice to make. There was a, a moment where Adam was standing there and he had a choice to make when Eve presented the, the apple or, or the pear or whatever fruit is of your taste. But he knew what God had told him, but yet he gave in anyways. And because of his disobedience, we were all sentenced to death. But even still, in our disobedience, doesn't God show grace on us? You know, did God show grace that even when Adam was disobedient and he was the, the first father, the first human on earth, that even when he messed up, God still gave us another chance. I often ask myself, why didn't, what, how would the course of history of men and, and women in this world have changed had Adam just said, Lord, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. But there's nowhere in the scriptures where Adam even said he was sorry. Matter of fact, he went and hid because he was scared of God. And sometimes when we make bad decisions and we do bad things, what do we do? We go and we hide behind things called work. And, and we become workaholics. And we let, that, we let our disobedient one act of sin. And although it will change the course of your life, it doesn't have to change your life. So then I said, all right, Adam's not a good example, okay? He kind of messed it up for everybody. You know what? Um, I figured out why women have such a hard time choosing what to eat for dinner. I figured it out. Because they chose, the first time they chose what to eat, sent us all men to death. Okay, I'm just kidding. Anyways, that was supposed to be funny. I thought it was funny. <laughs> yeah, I don't have to laugh at my jokes. I'm, I got my own people in here. So then I said, you know what? Adam's not a good example. I'm going to talk about Noah. Isn't Noah amazing? He walked with God. He talked with God. God found favor in Noah. Isn't he an awesome example of what being faithful is? It's amazing that sometimes when God tells us to do things as men and we... We kind of, we listen, but we don't listen. Sometimes we listen as men to respond, and we don't listen to understand. 
God told Noah to build an ark, and I say it all the time, gave him instructions, told him how it needed to be built, and then he left. Didn't speak to Noah again for 120 years. Noah is a good example of what it means for men to be faithful in your calling. Because of Noah's faithfulness, what happened? All of mankind was saved. Him and his family, they all came through the flood, which was a type symbolic for baptism. So yes, there was baptism in the Old Testament, symbolically. And sometimes, as men, God will tell us to do something on Sunday morning, and then by the time the football game comes on, we've already quit. Because it, it takes work. It takes a lot of work. Sometimes people ridicule us when we know that God has told us to do something. Sometimes if you have to do it alone, you still have to do it, but, some, but we quit. We quit so quick on the things that God has told us to, to get involved with. We quit on our families. We quit, quit on our church. Especially, we quit on the ministries that God set us up for. We get involved with a ministry, and it doesn't go how we think it should go, so we stop. Noah was faithful. And what we need to do as men is we need to get back to being faithful, even if we can't hear God, because, I mean, he gave us instructions, just like he gave Noah instructions. So we have instructions. It doesn't matter what your calling is. One, one of my passions that I have is for outreach. And even though I don't post it all the time, and we haven't done group outreach in a long time, evangelism is part of my life. We do it every single day. I do it every day. Every chance I get, I'm putting Christian starter kits out the window to homeless people, to anybody, anybody that'll take one. And so being faithful to what God told you means being faithful in season and being faithful out of season. We don't base our faithfulness on God based on how we feel. We base it on how God ordained that to us. So having that evangelism deep in my heart, yesterday I decided I'd been studying, been kind of wrestling with some things in the word, and I said, okay, you know what, Em, I'm just going to go to the gym. So I loaded up, kind of odd, in the middle of the afternoon. I don't ever go to the gym in the middle of the afternoon. And I pull up, and there's this man with no legs in a wheelchair sitting up under the canopy. And what I thought was amazing, and I kind of had this little chuckle in my truck, was like, Yes, my first response was, I need to go pray for this guy. And it took a long time for, for, for me to get to the point where my first response is, it doesn't matter what's going on in my life, I need to be faithful to my calling. And I went, because so, sometimes our first, as men, what, what do we do? Uh, he don't want to talk to me. I'm busy. I got other things to do. And so I went and prayed with this guy. And I walked up and I said, hey, brother, can I uh, pray with you? And he just kind of looked at me, and he said, uh, a matter of fact, you can. And I said, what can I pray about? He said, I, uh, I need direction. I said, man, that is so awesome because I pray for direction every day. And he's sitting there. He has a corona tucked in. He kind of hit it when I walked up, and we just started talking. And, and I asked him, I said, so what do you think about Jesus? He said, oh, you know, I don't, really, uh, I don't really know Jesus that much. I always pray to God. I know Jesus died for my sins. But I haven't really had a relationship with him. I always pray to God. And I said, wow, that's interesting. I said, well, I'm going to pray for you for direction, and we're going to pray together. But can I have two minutes to tell you about Jesus? Just two minutes. And he said, yeah, that would be fine. 
So I started telling him about Jesus. I started telling him about the sinful nature of man and why we do the things we do. Then I started telling him about grace and how God died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And it doesn't matter how good you are or how bad you are. It's because it's a gift that God gave us and it's grace. And that's why we're saved. And then I said, bro, if you roll out here in your wheelchair and you get smashed by a truck and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not going to heaven. You're going to hell. Eternal damnation. I said, I'm not trying to scare you. But I hate to see you not have that opportunity. And when you stand before God and say, why didn't you send somebody? He's going to say, I did. I sent a little chubby white dude to tell you about me. (laughs) Amen. And so I said, I'm going to pray, man. But uh, would you consider asking Jesus to be your Savior? And he said, man, I would like that. So we prayed. And he asked Jesus to be a Savior. And I thought to myself, man. What if I wasn't faithful in just in the calling that God gave me? What if I wasn't faithful in being an evangelist because I wasn't out with a group? It would have, this man may not have gotten saved. This man may have gotten a hit by a truck. And as as men in this church, in this generation, we have to be faithful in everything, in every area of our life. Amen. And then I said, I don't want to talk about Noah. How about Abraham? Isn't Abraham awesome? Father of many nations. He's such a great guy. And I say, well, what is so good about Abraham? Well, Abraham knows what it means to sacrifice. And I said, wow, let's talk about sacrifice. So what did Abraham sacrifice? He was going to sacrifice his son, Isaac. And it wasn't just a real, it wasn't just a sacrifice, but you have to know that Isaac was the promise that he gave him and Sarah in their old age of a nation of many people coming from his loins. So not only was it just a, a sacrifice, but it was his son that he loved, and it was the son of the promise. And sometimes we have to, God asks us to do things, men, that we just absolutely don't understand. Do we have to know it all? Do we have to have it all figured out? What do we have to have? We just have to know that God's telling us to do something. And that's why it's so important. I'm going to get on my soapbox again. That's why it's so important that we have a prayer life. Because if you don't know what God's saying, how can you hear his voice? How can you decipher between the loud voice and the quiet voice in your mind and in your heart and in your flesh? You You know what you need to do, but we don't always do it. So, and what's so awesome about Isaac is when he sacrificed his son. Sometimes we have to sacrifice things in our life, men. Sometimes we have to sacrifice our jobs. Sometimes we have to sacrifice time away from our family. Because what I realize is that when we're in this pursuit to be successful and to provide for our family, to have, let our kids and, and spouse have nice things, and we're always working, we're always working, but the more we work, the more we miss the family time. The more we miss the ball games, we miss the t-ball and the dance recitals and the swim meets and we miss all the fun stuff all the family stuff but then if we come over here and we say oh you know what i'm just going to be a part-time worker and i'm going to spend time with my family and enjoy all these things and have nice pictures and have nice photo ops on facebook right well then guess what the progress stops of moving forward and so i said lord what is the what is the deal here how do we, what is the answer to this question? And there really ain't an answer. 
There's really not an answer, men. I think every man in here at one point or another battles the workaholic, work, work, work to get ahead, or family, family, family to be a good dad or good husband. Yes. There's got to be a balance. And so I said, okay, Lord, we have to sacrifice things in our life. Men, we have to sacrifice our time when it's time to do the daddy-daughter dance, which I haven't done this year. I'm a bad dad, by the way. We have to sacrifice our time when we're coaching t-ball. We have to sacrifice our time when maybe your wife gets sick or your husband gets sick, and we just have to sacrifice. Everything in our life is seemingly we're sacrificing for the benefit of other people, kind of like God did for us. But I didn't really want to talk about Abraham, you know. So I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to talk about David. Ah, he's a man's man. He's a warrior. David's been a warrior since a child. When other people were over there playing sticks and throwing rocks in ponds, he's out there killing lions, tigers, and bears. He should have been on the Wizard of Oz, by the way, I think. Anyways, I thought that was funny, too. <laughs> David is an awesome man of what an awesome example of what being loyal to the king, even though the king was trying to kill him. David is an awesome example of what it meant to be a fighter for God. But he's also an example of outrageous sin. And yes, he was a warrior. And yes, he fought for God. And yes, he defeated Goliath. And yes, he became king. And yes, he had an opportunity to kill Saul when they were in the, in the cave. And he walked up, you remember, and he cut a piece off his, his gown, his, his robe. And real quick to get on that, David said, what did David say? Shall I touch the anointed of God? How many of us talk about God's anointed? How many of us spread lies and tell, spread rumors about God's anointed people? And we talk down on them. We talk bad about them. Instead of speaking life into them, we expect them to be up on this level because they're anointed. We don't expect them not to sin. We don't expect them to make mistakes. I'm just saying. I used to be that guy. I used to be the guy that was so critical of everything that any pastor said because I learned something in the Bible. I memorized the scripture. So that, that makes me qualified to tell the church how to run their business. Wrong. I was that guy, but I learned. Some of y'all lived through that with me. Amen. <laughs> hey, I'm an open book. The way I see it, if I'm an open book up here, then there ain't nothing y'all can talk about, right? <laughs> Anyways, David was a great example of a warrior, but he was also a great example of what complacency will do in your life. It was a time when kings went out to war. David, as a warrior, as a king, should have been on the battlefield. But instead of doing what he was supposed to be doing, where was he at? He was laid up looking out the window. And guess who he saw? Bathsheba. I wonder if they called her Bathsheba because she was taking a bath when he saw her. I have no idea. I just thought it was kind of funny. Why Bathsheba? You know? Anyways, so what did he do? He committed some gross sins. He knew she was married because his people said, oh, that's the wife of Uriah, one of your soldiers. Hmm. So David got her anyways. And I want to say that, almost want to say that Bathsheba was the victim here. 
I want to say that she had to do what David told her to do because he was the king. And in them days, you didn't speak out to the king. They killed you. But it's a good example of when we get complacent in our heart, we allow things to come in, men. When we get complacent in our marriage, that's when you get the midnight text. Oh, hey. Hey, buddy. Yeah, you know. How, how are things going? I'm good. You know what I'm saying? Then you go and, and you get people whispering in your ear. And that next thing you know, your marriage is on the rocks because you've been complacent. If, you, if we pursued as men our wives the way we pursued them when we were living in sin, think about how much better our marriage would be. Huh? Am I the only one? Come on. Y'all are quiet this morning. I need y'all to shout me down or something. If we pursued our spouse the way we did when we were dating them, I would drive all the way to Galveston, wouldn't I, Emily, every two weeks, just for 30 minutes, just to see my baby. I'd spend all the gas money I had, all the money I had for the week, making $8 an hour, just for a, a, a Chinese dinner. Wasn't Chinese? We always ate a Chinese. <laughs> she was in college. <laughs> I I'm not kidding you. And, and you go through these transitions in your life where you get married, and it's almost like men, like, oh, I got the prize. Oh, I got the best one in the flock, Lord. And then what do we do? We come home and we flop down on the couch. Say, hey, babe. Hey, babe. How's it going? Oh, it's good. How was work? Work is work. Same old, same old. Isn't that, is that real life? Or am I making stuff up? There's consequences to our sins. And there was a consequence to David's sin. David knew what he was doing. Sometimes, men, we know when we're supposed to be doing something and we don't do it. It's almost like it's premeditation. It's like, I know this isn't right, but oh, it feels so good. I know I've been delivered from alcohol, but I'm just going to have a taste, Lord. I'm, I'm good in my life. I've, I've been, you know, drinking is not a sin, Lord. Jesus drank wine, so I'm going to drink a beer. There's consequences to it. You can have a beer. I won't judge you. I might even have a beer with you. But if somebody in our church comes in that's a young Christian and they say, oh, oh, that, that guy was preaching and he's drinking beer, what are they going to say? I can drink too then. If it's okay for the pastor to drink, then not that I'm a pastor, but if it's okay for the guy speaking to drink, then it's okay for me to drink. There's consequences to everything. There's consequences when you're not faithful in your marriage like David. They had a child, and all oh, David pled before the Lord, begged and pleaded for his child, and his child was taken. That, and it wasn't just the child. It was the heir to the throne for David, his consequences. Not only did it, there is so much with David, not only did his, his sin lose his first son, but he had one of his soldiers killed, one of his disciples murdered on purpose. Then he lied, tried to cover up the sin. And that's such a good example of one sin, men, that we, we have in our, life, in our lives, and it just starts snowballing. Then we start making alibis. Then we start deleting text messages. Then we start making little white lies. Oh, I didn't really buy another pair of shoes, Emily. I put that money in the offering plate or whatever. Not saying I've ever done that. Yeah, you know how I am with my shoes. And so there's consequences. So what we need to do 
when we make mistakes and we, and we have fallen short of the glory, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We all missed the mark. What do we do? We do what David did. And we're not dancing naked. But he went and pleaded before the Lord. He said, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And he got a reset. He got forgiven. And here we go, his son Solomon. So I said, okay, Lord. I like David, but I don't want to talk about David. So I said, what's another one, Father? What's another good example of a man in the Bible? And he said, Job. And I like Job. Job is an example of what a Christian man is. When you read the story in life of Job, you see that he would go daily to the temple and sacrifice animals just in case if his kids sinned. He prayed over his family. He loved his family. He was faithful to the Lord. He's a good example as Christian men. What we're supposed to do when we get up in the morning, the first thing we need to be praying about is our first ministry, our first gift from God, which is our family. We need to keep our family close. We need to pray over them every day that you get a chance. When every chance I get with my kids, I anoint Matthew. I anoint Sarah. I pray that God will call them to do great and mighty things in his kingdom, that they would do things that I couldn't do, that they would reach generations that I can't reach. And I bless them. Matthew, I I bless you. I anoint you. And I said, Lord, I thank you for the spirit of quarterback coming on my son for the Texans. Thank you. (laughs) I I do pray that, by the way. Or the pitcher for the Astros, because by the time he gets ready, we're going to need new pitchers. But what I really pray is, Lord... I pray that I'm a good enough father that my children will take the lessons that I've taught them and take them into their life. And and Job, being the faithful man that he is, being the faithful Christian that he is, the other part of the example that Job is, that just because you're doing what God told you to do doesn't mean you're not going to hit storms. Jesus said in Matthew, when you go through the storm, not if you go through the storm. Job was doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing, being a man, loving his wife, loving his children, praying, being diligent, being faithful. And it reminds me when Jesus sent the disciples across the Sea of Galilee and the storm came, it reminds me that they were doing what Jesus told them to do and the storm still came. So how do we deal with that? Job lost everything. Job lost everything. And just because we're Christian, and just because we have this idea that, you know, we're going we're to get all these blessings, we're going to give a little bit of money, we're going to get all these monies in return, and yes, all that stuff is good, it's true, and it's real, but there's another part of being a Christian that we don't normally talk about. And it's the part where we go through hell. It's the part where our faith is tested. It's the part where our ministry is put on the coals and all the chaff is burned out. It's the part where your marriage is strained and you've got to fight for it. See, Job went through all that. But what did Job do? What did Job do? When his best friends, look, I love you, Eric, and I love you, Daryl, but if you ever come to me and tell me to curse God and die, let me tell you something. It's on. That's all I'm going to say. Let it be known. I get really awesome counsel from Daryl and Eric. I give Eric a hard time a lot, but he is very wise in the decisions that he makes, especially when it comes to me. 
God is good. So, so through all this, Job praised God. He said, and finally he got to this attitude, what did I do, Lord? What did I do? And everything was restored. So be, be faithful in, in your family. Be diligent in your prayers for your children. Be diligent in your ministry. And when the storms come, don't let the storms overtake you, but just cry out for Jesus. Just cry out to God. And that's why it's important. And I feel bad for Job because he didn't have anybody on his side. Everybody in Job's life was wanting him to turn around and tell him, you've done something wrong. You're a sinner. But he stood on the faith. He stood on what he knew was true, and he didn't bow, bend, or break. And God blessed him, and he returned everything to him. I said, oh, Lord, I ain't talking about Job. I need another example. And so God said, how about me? And I said, well, you know, everybody knows you're the father. And I said, what about you, Lord? I said, what about you, God? What about you, God, that we don't know? He said, oh, y'all know it all. Y'all tell me all the time how to fix your problems. (laughs) I said, okay, Lord, let me just shut up and listen. And when when I think about God and his infinite wisdom and his infinite power and his might and him being just a strong fortress, I think about love. That no matter what I've done, my father loves me. Because I'm telling you, man, I've made some bad mistakes in my life. And if I was ever to stand trial for them, I would never see outside of a prison cell again. But God is gracious. God is merciful. That even when we are in the pits of our sin, he died for us. And he's such a, a gracious God that he sent his son to die for people that he knew would never accept him. Wow. Imagine that. And so I said, I ain't talking about you, God. (laughs) And what I want to talk about this morning is restoring men back to the head of the home. Being a father means being involved. It means behaving responsibly, being emotionally engaged, being physically available, providing financial support, and having influence and child-making and rearing decisions. Before the Industrial Revolution in the 18th century, dads worked side-by-side with their children. They worked on the farms. They taught them how to, to row. They taught them how to hoe. They taught them how to pick corn and pick grapes and pick cotton. And all the stuff that dads did to make a living, they did it with their children. And they lived out these crucial character traits needed for a successful life. Things such as honesty, patience, integrity, hard work, perseverance, traits that help build a great nation, traits that our young boys went into the war with and tried to fight these wars and win these wars. And when the Industrial Revolution showed up, fathers left the farms and they went to the factories. Long work days and swing shifts set the stage for the absentee father. And I, I, I know what it's like to be an absentee father because I've worked turnarounds. In, in 2011, I worked half a year, 714s, and all of 2012, I worked 712s. I think I had 12 days off the whole year. Same with 2013. I know what it's like to be an absentee father because sometimes I would show up. I was there, 
but I wasn't engaged. I was gone. I was, I was at work. I was, you know, correcting the guys, telling them something. But over time, fathers became regarded as the breadwinners who fulfilled their paternal duty by being a provider. Dads made the money. Moms did everything else. And ain't that kind of how we are now? Ain't that kind of what happens, men? We go to work. We make a paycheck. We come home. And, and what do we do? Get out of my chair, boy. <laughs> Get up. You know that's my chair. <laughs> I sit here. Go play in your room. Can y'all be quiet, please? I'm tired. I've worked all day. I don't have the, the energy to mentally engage with you. I don't want to play Legos. I don't want to draw pictures. I want to sit because I'm a man. I'm a provider. Yeah. That's why I'm telling you, I wrestled with this message for a, long, for a whole week. Dads made the money. Moms did everything else. Working overtime now took the place of baseball games, trips to the lake for a family picnic. It replaced crucial life lessons for our sons and our daughters. It replaced sex in the bedroom with our wives because why? We're too tired to satisfy their physical needs because we're in the pursuit to make as much money as we can. Because the world tells us if we have this house and this car, then we've made it. So we've, we've set our standards to the standards of the world. And, and then there's these needs that go on untended to in the home, in the, in the room with your wife. It replaced intimacy with our wives as we're bitter from having to work so much because now we got a new car we got to pay for. Now we got a, a bigger house than we can afford that I have to work overtime so I can pay for it because we want to live the American dream. We want to keep up with who? The Joneses. That's the first people I'm going to look for when I get to heaven. <laughs> What were you thinking? <laughs> and when asked, how, how was your day? Honey, we all too often reply, it was just another day. And what do I always say, babe? Work is work. I'm guilty. Rather than engaging with my wife, telling her the things that I've experienced at work, the goods, the highs, the lows, the not-so-bads, getting written up for being mouthy, might surprise you. <laughs> Things like that. I always say, work was good. Work is work. And I'm sorry, you know, you deserve better. You deserve that interaction, that conversation, because often I fail to ask you, well, how was your day? When your day was probably more busier than mine, especially with our son, Matthew. That boy's 100 miles an hour. He's asleep. There's no in-between. And having to deal with him all day. It's a handful. <laughs> that kind of thinking, um, it's really negative on our home. It's really negative in our lives and our daughters. And today in America, 43% of all children live without their father. Almost 90% of all homeless and runaway children come from fatherless homes. 71% of all pregnant teenagers, 71% of all high school dropouts, and 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes. Just from dads being absent. Fatherless children are twice as likely to drop out of high school. They're twice as likely to end up in jail and four times more likely to need help 
for behavioral problems. So this morning, I want to look at what it means to man up God's way. And this is a message for me. Y'all don't have to listen. This is something God was dealing with me about. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak. If you want to listen, that's great. If you don't want to hear what I got to say, you're not going to hurt my feelings if you leave. This is about me. Where are my ladies at? Where's the girls at? Raise your hands. Ladies, this message is not for you. <laughs> this message is not even about you. <laughs> but this message will greatly benefit you. Okay? Look, and I say that because as soon as I, I say, God bless, amen, hallelujah, let's go home, I'm going to get text message from some of y'all saying, hey, we're awesome too, Tim. Look, we know you're awesome, okay? In fact, the whole world knows you're awesome because on Mother's Day, every grocery store and retail store across America has these giant circus tents filled with gummy bears, chocolates, and teddy bears. And on Father's Day, what do we get? We get one little section next to the hammers at Home Depot. We know you're awesome. Amen? And most of the, the cards we get either have a hot rod or a golf club on them. Hello? I love mine. I got a homemade card this morning. Brought me to tears. I was choking tears back. My wife is so creative and my children. But today is Father's Day, and it's also a day from this moment on that I'll be calling Warrior Dad Day because it's time as men that we rise up to be warriors. There is a warrior inside of every man in the sanctuary. Amen? And for some of us, these warriors inside of us have been sleeping for way too long. These warriors inside of us have been dormant for way too long. They've been hibernating for way too long. So today we're going to look at what it means to man up God's way, and that's the title of my sermon. I want to read you a story this morning. So turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 35, 16 through 18. Genesis 35, 16 through 18. Say amen when you get there. Say Eric when you get there. Then the journey from Bethel, then they journeyed from Bethel, and then when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had hard labor. Now it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said to her, do not fear you will have this son also. And so it was, as her soul was departing from her, that she called his name Benoni. Remember that name, Benoni. But his father called him Benjamin. Thank you for the rain, Lord. So here we have one boy with two different names. Benoni, which means son of sorrow, and Benjamin, which means strength, which means son of the right hand, which symbolizes strength. Amen. All right, Lord. Pastor can make it stop. I don't know if I can. <laughs> One boy with two names, sorrow and strength, sorrow and strength. 
And just like us as men, one man with two names, sorrow and strength. We can be a wiener or we can be a winner. We can be washed up as men or we can be warriors. We can be sleepers or we can be soldiers. We can be complainers or we can be conquerors. We can be a victim or we can be victorious. Every day we wake up, men, we have choices to make on which name we're going to carry with us. Benoni or Benjamin? Benoni or Benjamin? Verse 16 says, when they were but a little distance from Bethlehem, which means they were almost there. They didn't quite make it. They didn't quite make they come up short. They, they didn't finish. They, the finish line was in sight. And sometimes in life, men, we fall short. We fall short of our goals. We fall short of our dreams. We can see it in the horizon. We can see the end, and we just don't quite make it. What have you come up short on in your life, men? Have you come up short on your dreams? Did you quit too soon? Did you just give up? Sometimes we, we miss the mark when our, when our goals don't get met. And we almost make it, but we just fall short. We allow sorrow to set in. And we, and we allow that Benoni spirit just to come. And then we sulk in ourselves. And then we just say, oh, this wasn't for me anyways, Lord. And we're just going to stop. We're just going to sit back. And then we quit. And many of our dreams have been buried in doubt. Because God wasn't moving at our speed, so we quit. Many of our dreams have been buried in fatigue because sometimes in ministry you fight hard for what God told you to do, and we get tired of fighting, so we quit. So we, our dreams get buried in fatigue. Men, sometimes our jobs get buried, our, our dreams get buried with work because we want to live the American dream. We want to provide for our families, which is a noble thing, by the way. If you don't work, you're probably not going to eat. I mean, I think that's a proverb somewhere. Um, sometimes our dreams are buried because of family, family that don't believe in you. How, how many of you have, have buried our marriages because of money stress? How many of our marriages are strained because we're so financially in debt like I was at one time, I couldn't afford to pay attention? I was busted. I was broke. I was disgusted. How many of our marriage are financially strained because we have two spenders in the house? That don't work. Somebody's got to quit spending. I'm just telling you. How many of us have buried our marriages because of the stress with kids? Maybe stepkids. Maybe your kids are just going buck wild. Maybe they're just running around, not listening to you. And mama has one way of correcting the kids. Daddy has another way of correct, correcting the kids. And next thing you know, your marriage is split. It's divided. How many of us have buried our relationship with our children? Because our children are going in a different direction. Maybe you've got a, a son that, or a daughter who's outside of the house and they decided one day, hey, Dad, uh, I just want to tell you that uh, I'm gay now. Then what? How do you respond to that? What if they come and say, oh, Dad, uh, What if they come and say, Dad, I don't want to spend time with you because you've always been too busy in my life. 
to spend time with me. And I've had that deal with that with my real father. Let me move on before I start crying up here. How many of us have buried our call to ministry because we're scared? Because we don't know how to let the Spirit roll through us. We don't know how to let the Spirit work in us. Men, and we get, when we don't understand something, what is the first thing we want to go and do? We want to bury it. How many of us have buried our call to ministry because of jealousy? Well, Gilbert has that. I don't like Gilbert because he has that shirt on. So I'm just going to quit coming to church. That's my favorite shirt, and he wears it. So now I'm jealous. Now I'm not going to fulfill my call of coming to church in my blue shirt because I'm jealous of Gilbert's. Am I making sense? Yeah? And this is the one that got me hardcore was how many men have buried our relationship with God the Father? How many of us as men have buried our relationship with God the Father because we're bitter over a death maybe of a spouse, of a child, of a friend? Look, I, I buried my relationship with Christ, with God, when my brother died. My brother was a great man. He was a good man. He worked hard. He loved his family. He was always available. He was morally way more of a man than I could have ever been. He served our, on, on our, as a police officer. He served our, our county. And when he died, I was so bitter. It was uh, probably two months before I would even go back to work. I was angry with God. Why would you take my brother? Lord, I mean, look at me, Lord. Look at me. And you take the good one? I dealt, it's hard. It's a hard pill to swallow. And I ain't even going to lie. I still have questions. Lord, why does a good die young? Why couldn't it have been me? And I've sat up here many a times and said, if I could have taken his place, I would have. Because he deserved a much longer life. But that's not how things work sometimes. Something, you know, Solomon in Ecclesiastics said it rains on the just and the unjust. The good prosper and the bad prosper. Maybe we didn't get answers fast enough. Maybe I got sick with a, a, an illness and, and I said, Lord, I'm a man. Where, where's the healing? You've healed everybody else from cancer. Why can't you heal me? And then maybe we've been hurt by others. And we buried our relationship with God because our pastor didn't call us back fast enough when we needed prayer. Or maybe our pastor didn't come and visit us in the hospital when we were sick because he's a, he's a busy man. And so we buried our relationship with God because pastors aren't supposed to act like that. But today's the day that we let go of the Benoni. We let go of sorrow. We let go of that bitterness that we hold and carry around with us. Man, we've got to let it go. So much is depending upon us, our family, our children, our jobs, our church. We can't walk around being sorrow all the time. We've got to let it go. We've got to quit feeling sorry for ourselves. And then we've got to pick up Benjamin, the strength of the Lord. Strength. It's been a long time since I felt like I was walking in strength from the Lord. And then what do we do? What do we do, men, after we start walking in strength? We go and we pick up a shovel. 
and we go back to where our dreams were buried and we start digging. We go back home and pick up our, and tell our wives and kiss her on the mouth and say, baby, I'm sorry. I buried our marriage. I'm going to resurrect it. And you go to your children and you kiss them on the mouth and you say, son, daughter, I'm sorry that I've worked so much that I don't even know what your number is on your jersey. The dreams that were buried in sorrow, we dig them up in strength. The dreams that were buried in sorrow, we dig up in strength. We go back to where they were buried. We go back to where our dreams are buried, and we demand from Satan that you restore unto me sevenfold everything you took from me. And we don't ask him for it. We don't speak to him on the level that he, he has that right. And when we speak to Satan, we're bringing him up to our level because he's under our feet. We demand you return what, what you have taken from us as men. Restore back to me everything you take, just like Job was restored everything back into his life. For too long, we've allowed the, the world to tell us that as men, if we don't cry, then we're not a real man. Okay? I'm a man. I cry, by the way. But if we cry too much, then we're not a real man either. Amen. And we, we struggle with this, this idea to, buy, to, to provide for our family. We struggle with trying to spend time with our family. And I used to think, like, like Danny said, it was balance. Where we make time for work and we make time for church and we make time with family. But what I've come to realize is that even in balance, it uh, still leaves both my family and my job wanting. And I thought maybe it was ministry. But what I realized very quickly is ministry often demands more of my time than my job does. Now, I'm not saying don't get involved with ministry, but as men, we have this deep burning desire that we've got to conquer everything, and we don't want to say no. So everything that comes to us, yeah, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. But in the end, the people that suffer, there's no doubt in my mind that every man in here is not capable of handling five or ten ministries at one time. That's not the point. The point is when we're doing so much, somebody else is suffering. Our children are missing dad. Our wives are missing the intimacy. Our family's missing dinner with dad at the table because we're so busy. So what do we do? What do we do? One thing for certain is that we don't give up, men. That it doesn't give us the right to be absent. We become present when we're present. Did y'all catch that? We become present when we're present. We become there when we're there. You can be in a room with somebody and still not be there. Trust me, every time I get called in the office and get chewed out, I'm, I'm there, but I'm not there. I'm, I'm checked out. I'm somewhere playing golf. And I, I get in trouble a lot at work because I'm, I am really mouthy and I see things different and they like that about me, but Sometimes there's a line that I cross. As a man, sometimes we think we don't know our limits and we got to go all the way. And just for the record, you cannot tell the vice president that he needs to wait to use the bathroom because you were in line, especially when he didn't know he was the vice president. <laughs> Anyways, we had a good conversation, needless to say. 
We become present when we're present. We become there when we're there. And we engage. We talk. We participate. That's what we got to do. Those things ain't going to change. You're always going to have work. You're always going to have ministry. You're always going to have family. So in a sense, it is balance. It's like a juggling act. But whenever you're there, you have to be there. Let's look at what we're supposed to be as fathers. I'm going to get you out of here early. A little early. Y'all might be mad at me. The women got out way early. I mean, just saying. 1 Corinthians 11.3. 1 Corinthians 11.3. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. So let me tell you what a father is. We are the spiritual leaders in our home. We, we will be held accountable when we stand for Christ. And we're there with our family. He's not going to ask your wife how she raised the kids. He's not going to ask your wife how she provided for the home. She's not going to ask your wife how she was the spiritual leader of your house. He's going to ask the man. And we've given that authority away. And there's nothing against women. They, they do an amazing job. I couldn't do their job. But we've given that away, and we need to restore that back. And so one of the things that God was telling me that is so great about him is love. And so I went to 1 Corinthians 13, and it says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I have gained nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant, nor is it rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all, and hopes all, and endures all things. Love never ends And that is so how God is with us. Isn't he patient with us? Isn't he patient when we don't do what he tells us to do? Isn't he patient when we go and commit sin that we know is sin? Isn't he so patient with us? But our kids come in there and they they flip out one time and they're grounded for life. Or we take their tablet away from them. It's like we don't have patience because we're so busy. We're, We're busy doing life. We're busy doing work. We're busy doing ministry. We don't have time to teach our kids that no you can't throw your tablet in the air as my son did and now it's got a shattered screen but mama saved the day mamas are are really awesome she put saran wrap on it and it still works so we're good for about another month we just didn't want him to cut his fingers open god is so patient with us and we should take that same patience and apply it to our marriage and our children men we should god is kind He's just kind. He's gentle with us. He loves us. He chastises us. And and one of the things I love so much about Psalms 23 where it says your rod and your staff, they comfort me. One of the things we have to realize about the rod is it's also used for correction. You know? So we have to, God will correct us because he's kind. If he didn't love us and if he wasn't kind to us, he would let us go about our way. He endures with us. When we're going through things in our life, when my wife was sick, I didn't know if I was coming or going. 
I didn't know if I could go this way. I didn't know to go that way. Look, I hadn't paid bills in the entire time we dated or married. My wife paid everything. She was in charge of all that. So when Emily got sick, I was freaking out. How do you write a check? And where do you keep the bills? God endured with me through that. He gave me wisdom. I thank God for my father-in-law who come over there and said, look, don't worry about it. I got plenty of money. We'll get you, we'll get you squared away. And he did. The greatest father-in-law I've ever had. The only one, by the way. <laughs> I always joke with my mother-in-law. She's such a, a wonderful woman. And I think I made her mad one day because I asked, you know, I said, what was so great about the Garden of Eden? There was no mother-in-laws. And I was saying it joking. (laughs) I was saying it joking, and I think she got her feelings hurt. And I said, Donna, I'm just messing with you. And I really love her. She is, she's, when my mom died, my mother-in-law stepped in and filled shoes that she shouldn't have had to fill. And she loved me and has loved me continuously. She's chastised me. She's corrected me. She's put me in my place. And although I want to get mouthy and think, oh, you know what? You go back across the field where you belong, 99.999%, she's absolutely right. And I just need to shut up and listen. But as men, we don't know how to shut up. As men, we just want to talk and go bump, bump, bump because we know it all. Anyways, I'm going to skip on some of these things. We're told as men that we need to be more sensitive, that we need to be more caring, and that we need to be more loving. And yes, those things, those traits, we need to have those things. We need to have more compassion. We need to have more feelings for our kids and our wife. We can't be a closed book. We can't be this hard case man all the time. But right now in this world, our children need warrior dads. Our children need warrior fathers who are going to stand up and be present in their lives. Our children need warrior fathers to teach them about Jesus without apology. Because if we don't teach our children about Jesus, the world will teach them not to. It's not if they won't. They will. They're already doing it. Our children need warrior fathers to demand that at all costs, even if they're wrong, we'll defend them. Even if they're wrong. And and that's a hard thing to swallow. One of the things I always tell Daryl is if you make a mistake, we're going to get through it. Even if you're wrong, I'm going to support you. That doesn't mean you have to agree with everything they do. But when when you make a mistake, didn't your parents love you? I got bailed out one time from my mama. Put up two mobile homes, three cars, and three uh, income taxes from neighbors. She said, never again. She was there with me. She loved me through it. She supported me, even when I was wrong. And we have to do that with our children, because sometimes our kids are going to make mistakes, and they're going to hit the teacher. They're going to stab another kid with a pencil. They're going to steal crayons. Uh, Ain't that right? As fathers, we got to love them through it. Our children need warrior fathers that will defend them. Our wives need warrior husbands to fight for our marriage. We don't need no more couch potatoes. There's enough of us. Us. We got to get off the couch. We got to do things. We got to get out and work in the yard. We got to 
get out and chase our wife. We've got to get out and enjoy our marriage. Take them to do things. Be present in your children's life. We need to love warrior, our wives need warrior men to love them unconditionally, to satisfy them emotionally, and provide for them without complaining. And our church men needs warrior men, warrior fathers to defend the cross that's being attacked every single day, defend the truth on both sides. It doesn't, even outside the church and inside the church, are, the truth is being attacked. Both people in the government and people in the church are fighting against the truths that God has set in place and that we hold near and dear. Dear, in California, they're trying to pass a law that's making Bible a crime. If you have a Bible, it's now going to become a crime. And if you dare speak a word of it, they want it to be hate speech. This is stuff that's already in legislation. The Pope is working to change the scripture, publicly announcing he wants to change the scripture to redefine what marriage is, that a man can marry a man, and it's okay in the eyes of God. And it's not. And we need men, warrior men, to stand up and fight for the truths that we hold near and dear. Our church needs men to put on the helmet of salvation. Our church needs men to anoint our minds with the word of God. We need men to put on the breastplate of righteousness. That we're going to walk in the ways that God said we're going to walk in. That we're going to be righteous in God's eyes, not self-righteous in who we think we are. We need to put on the belt of truth. That it doesn't matter. We're going to speak the truth. We're going to read the truth. We're going to fight for the truth. And we're going to defend the truth. For our church, for our family, for our homes. And we need men to shod our feet with the readiness of the gospel. We got, uh, we've got enough men telling other men. we got enough Indians. We've got enough chiefs. We need some workers. Everybody has an idea on how to fix the, the attendance problem at church, but nobody's getting out and doing it. Look, if you come with an attitude, if you come with a problem, and you got something that can be fixed, be a part of it. We've got enough communicators. We need workers. We need to shot our feet. We need to get out. Every one of us have a responsibility to spread the gospel, to be evangelist. And we need to take up the shield of faith. And, and that shield of faith doesn't just protect us. Man, it protects our family. It protects our children. And when we have brothers in our, in our midst who have fallen down because they haven't, they've missed the mark, then we stand in front of them with our shield and protect them till they can stand on their own two feet. Those are the warrior men we need. we need. We need men who will take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and swing it. we got enough guys walking around with Bibles in their hands. We need men that know how to use it and swing it. That's a double-edged sword. It cuts one person one way, and it cuts another person the other. And we need to learn how to use it. And the only way you learn how to use it is practice. Men, it's time to suit up. It's time to suit up. Let's pray. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Lord, I love you. Lord, we praise you. We thank you for the, the message, Lord. We pray that as men, as warrior men, as fathers, that we could go out into this world, that we can be the example and not just talk about the example, that we can set the standard and not look at a standard, that we can be who you called us to be as men, as fathers. Help us to be and help us to look to you as an example, Father. There's so many 
great examples in the Bible of what men are supposed to be and what men are not supposed to be. Lord, we want to follow in your footsteps. We want to be, we are the head, Father, and not the tail. We are above, Father, and not beneath, Father God. And we've given so much authority, so much dominion, so much power away to things that are frivolous in this world. And we need to bring it back. We need to take our rightful place as the head of the house. We need to gather every night with our children, with our wife, and lock hands. And we need to pray for God's anointing, for God's blessing. Every time we sit down for a meal, Lord, as men, we need to lead the prayer of thanksgiving. When we see a brother that's fallen, Father, we need men to go and restore him, Father God. We don't need men to go and say, hey, hi, you're a sinner because of what you did. Now you've fallen down. We need men to go by and say, you know what? It happens. Let me just love you through it. God will deal with your sin. I'm not a judge. Help us, Lord. Help us, Father, just to be men. Be men who care, men who love, men who worship you, Father. Men who will stand for truth at all costs, Father. Even if it costs us our life, Father, we will stand united as men, as a body of believers. And help us to take back the responsibilities, Father God. Help us to dig up the the dreams that we've buried as men, Father God, in pursuit of other things. Yeah, we've made mistakes, Father God. And I'm asking you to restore back to us a, a fire, a passion to be a man. Can I have all the men stand, please? All the men. Stand to your feet. Raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to repeat something after me, and I want to hear authority. I want to hear restoration. I want to hear power coming out of your lungs. And I want to hear that you mean it. Put your hand over your heart. Say, I am a warrior. I am the spiritual leader in my house. I am a defender of the cross. I will fight for truth. I will defend the weak. I will father the fatherless. I will be faithful. I won't bow. I won't bend. And I won't buckle. And I will not compromise because I am a warrior. Let's praise God for our men this morning. Hey, this is Pastor Paul Golden. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe, rate it, and review. Also, you can help us to reach others by investing today at lightchristiancenter.com slash give. Thank you for joining us on LCC's podcast. God bless you and have a great day.